we thought about what, what should we focus on in, um, in 2022. A number of us, the session, a group of folks that are involved with kind of the, the spiritual life of our church, we thought, you know, in times like this, we, we need to be people of prayer. And so the thought was is that we would begin uh, 2022 with a focus where it needed to be on our relationship and how we communicate and how we lift up others uh, before the Lord and just how we pray. You know, Jesus uh, did a lot of things, taught a lot of things, but there was only one thing that his disciples asked him to teach them. Now, if it were me, I think that, uh, you know, changing water into wine would have been one of my first lessons I would have loved to, to learn. Um, walking on water, I was a lifeguard. That would have been really helpful at different times in my career. But uh, uh, healing the sick, curing the lame and the blind, there were so many different, unique, wonderful things that Jesus did. But you know, there was only one question, one thing that the disciples said, we want to do that like you do that. And that was when he prayed. They asked him, teach us to pray like you prayed. And so we're going to take 2022, we're going to learn about communicating with God, and we're going to be taught by the master. And uh, I feel like before we talk about prayer, we ought to pray. Join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have spoken to us already this morning. And as we stand at the beginning of a new year, the most important thing will be how we will walk through this new year with you. And so teach us, Lord, how to talk, how to communicate with you, how to to use the vehicle and the privilege of prayer in such a way that we face 2022 differently. If there would be anything that would hinder us hearing you, I pray you would remove it, for we've come to sit at Jesus' feet, to be taught by Jesus, that we might leave here more like Jesus. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, why, when they said, Jesus, teach us to pray, he didn't just say, well, all you have to do is just talk to God. Don't you think that would be the easiest, quickest answer? Well, the, the problem is, is that on one hand, we are good at talking. We're not necessarily good at talking with God or talking to God. A very fa famous preacher said, you know, I can preach a 35-minute message, sermon. I can be focused. I, I, I have my, don't lose a train of thought. Nothing else gets in the way. I deliver that message without a problem. But give me 35 minutes to pray to God and my mind wonders. And I get off track, and all of a sudden, I'm not thinking about what I am doing. He said, 
it's harder for me to pray for 45 minutes, for 35 minutes than to preach for 35 minutes. So what, what about you? Is that true? Does prayer somehow kind of just, you start out with good intentions, but it, it just fades into the background? How do you communicate with God? And would it be good to spend a couple of weeks sitting at the feet of the master, the one who did it so well, and learn? You know, many of us have questions, though, about prayer. And uh, like, do we have to pray in Jesus' name? Do we have to see God as a father in order for him to hear us? What questions might you have? Are my prayers important? Is God able and willing to answer my prayers? Do my prayers matter? Now, I have put in the pew in front of you in the, uh, with the hymnals some uh, three-by-five index cards and would love to have you uh, in the next day, week, couple weeks, write down a question that you have had about prayer that you can't get answered or have wondered about. And I would invite you to write that and to put it in the collection box outside that door following the service, and we'll see how maybe we can get to some of those. And for those watching all over the world, please email us and with your questions, and we'll see if we might be able to tackle one or two of them. So prayer. Jesus answered that question, Lord, teach us to, prayer, to pray, how to pray, in two of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, the good news about Jesus according to Dr. Luke, and according to Matthew. We're gonna, they're very similar in how their response, we're going to look at the Matthew text, Matthew 6. It's in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. And in chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Both of the responses that are written in those two Gospels begin with two, the same words, our Father. Now, why Father? How important is Father? You know, there are some 20-plus names in the Old Testament, much more than 20, but many more than 20. I put them here on the screen in front of you. Uh, the names of God in the Old Testament, or maybe not. <laughs> Is that the next slide? The, uh, the, yeah, there they are. 
So there's 20 of them. Uh, the Ancient of Days, the Anointed One, the God who gave you birth, the God of Knowledge, the God Most High, <coughs> excuse me, Everlasting God, the God who sees, God Almighty, the Creator. I mean, why not those terms? They're the Lord of Hosts, the Lord is Peace, uh, God Almighty, our Creator. Why does Jesus pick our Father over all of the others, especially because in the day it is irreverent. It was blasphemous to use the term father for God. In fact, today in the Muslim world, they are offended when we would call God father. That is much too personal. And if you look in history, if you go back to all the Jewish uh, teachers and scribes, you go back in all the writings, I am told only one rabbi ever dared to use the term father for God was Jesus Christ. It was so unique. In fact, it's one of the things that cost him his life. They said, you cannot have that kind of intimate relationship with God. It offended them to the point that they needed to get rid of this young rabbi. So why, Father, if it's so offensive? And, and what if it's offensive to some of us? What if our earthly father fell way short of what a father should be and that term fathers are like fingernails on a chalkboard for us? What, what do we do with that? Is that the best term? Well, let's look at... Um, why he used the term father. It, it's one of the most unpreached Christmas texts in the Bible because it comes from the book of Galatians from Paul's writings. Listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, that's Christmas, when the God's appointed time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus came to put us in a way that we would be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And because you are sons and daughters... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son, then an heir through God. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. Jesus came to give his life to pay the debt for our sin that separates us from God. He took the sin so we would know Christ's righteousness, this great trade. We traded in our sin. We got his rightness and his relationship 
with his heavenly father. It made us sons and daughters. And if you were to read this text, you might think that the word here for father is pater, the Latin pater meaning father. But in Aramaic, that Jesus would have spoken at the time, it would have been Abba, daddy. It would have been call him daddy. But it's just not here. This one text of Paul, even John the apostle wrote in his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 11. He came, Jesus came to his own people, and they did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Your sonship, your daughtership began not in your heart. It didn't even begin in your parents' hearts and minds. Your adoption into the family of God came by the will of God, the desire of God. He picked you. He picked you. Now, J.I. Packer, who is a well-known theologian of our time, writes this in his classic book called Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and their prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. In understanding the fatherhood of God, you understand what it means to live as his child, son, or daughter. That concept of fatherhood, from the beginning of time, it radicalizes the whole New Testament. But then you get to the baggage that we carry. Okay, Jerry, I, I hear what you're saying, but what if my father was less than a perfect father? What if my father hurt me deeply? How, how do I picture a heavenly father loving me when my earthly father did everything but? How do you have me approach the Father in heaven, when my earthly father was so unapproachable? Those are great, great questions, and for many, a, a great struggle. That word father can get in the way. But, but I want you to understand why this term father is so important. 
Do you know that when Jesus, or when God introduced himself to Moses the first time, he used a name that couldn't be repeated, Yahweh. I will be who I will be. But later on in the story, when Moses is on the mountain with God and, and, and it's about when the Ten Commandments are being given, Mo says to God, hey, I'd really like to see you. And God says, you can't handle seeing me. But Moses said, I really want to see you. I just see a cloud. And God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. And I'm going to pass by you with all my glory. But I'm going to put my hand over your eyes. And as I pass by and walk away, I'm going to let you see my backside. Now, I don't know about you. For me, I get this hospital gown kind of via vision. But... <laughs> The, the backside of, of God. And, uh, but what's important is his name, what he says about himself. As he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The Lord, the Lord. Do you know the first description he gives? Compassionate. Compassionate. Now, in the Greek, we know that means to hurt in the gut for people. And in, the, in a similar way, in the Old Testament, it has that thought. But you know where this, this idea of compassion is, is, is seen in a tangible way? It's in the, the story of King Solomon. And, and you might have heard this story along the way that there were two women living in the same household and both had given birth to babies. And one of the women's young child baby dies... And she is so distraught, in the middle of the night, she takes her dead baby and she exchanges it with the live baby of the other mother, takes the live baby to be her own. And when the mother wakes up, the other mother, and sees the baby dead and, and is just horrified and then all of a sudden discovers, this is not my child, and goes to the other woman and said, you, ex you, you made this change. And she said, no, I didn't. And it finally, Solomon hears the case. And he's just prayed for wisdom. And so he tells, he says to the women, tell the story. And the, and the woman said, you know, I woke up and the baby was dead. But it's not my baby. She's got my baby. And Solomon said, well, here, I can solve that really easy. I'm going to cut the child in half. And I'll give you each half of the baby. And the mom, the real mom, I, I, I love the way that it says in the text, it says, the mom yearned her bowels upon her son. Yearned her bowels upon her son. Having compassion. Her they thought the heart was in the bowels, and her bowels were breaking for her son. She did not want her son to be killed. You know what she does? 
She says to Solomon the king, I lied to you. That's not my child. Because she loved the child so much, her heart in her bowels said, I'd rather not have the child and have the child live than have the child cut in half. And Solomon said, that's the mom. That's the mom. The idea of compassion in, in, this, in, this, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it, it's a feminine quality. So when you get this idea that God is all male, it is, it is God is male and female. God hurt and has compassion on us as a mother has compassion on their child. In Isaiah 9, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. I love you, God says, with the love of a mother with her child. And even if a mother had a child at her breast, there's no way she could forget about that child. But even if she did, I will never forget about you. You are engraved on my hands. And then Psalm 109, we're going to camp out here just for a few minutes. As the father shows compassion, hurt in the gut, this, this um, yearning of his bowels for us. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who are in awe of him. That's what that word fear, who have faith in him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. And you would say, can God love the likes of me like that? And you would think, maybe I, I'd like to think of God not as a father, but how about as a king? You know, he's, he's majestic and I'll just be a servant. But you know, even a king gets tired of misbehavior. And he disregards the person misbehaving. Well, you know, maybe Jesus, uh, I want to see God as my best buddy, my friend. But you know what? A friend gets tired of our misbehaving as well. Well, I'm going to think of God as my lover, one who loved me like a lover. But even in a love relationship, a lover gets tired of misbehaving and walks away. You know who doesn't get tired of misbehavior? A mom and a dad. In fact, I've watched many families over the years and y y you love them all. Sometimes you love the one that's most lost. And God says, that's, that's how I love you. Everybody else will walk away as your father. I will not walk away. I love you with an everlasting love. 
It has no beginning and it has no end. That is how I love you. That is what Jesus wanted us to know when we pray. We pray to one who will not walk away, who will love us because he knows what we are made of. But it doesn't end there, this text, this wonderful text. As for man, his days are like grass. He, she flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Do you see what he's saying? There's going to be a time where we will be forgotten. After we close our eyes here, People will forget us. We will be forgotten. You know, one of the great Christmas movies, and we don't have time to go into it, is It's a Wonderful Life. It's about a story of somebody who was forgotten because he never was, as he wished he was never born. So he wasn't known by his mom. He wasn't known. His brother died in the in the the ship because he wasn't there to save him and his wife that he loved so dearly knew him not and screamed when he kept pursuing her and even his home was dilapidated and broken down. He had no place. For man and woman, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows and it is gone and the place remembers them no more. But you know, Jesus went to the cross. And do you know that the only time that Jesus does not call God Father is on the cross? For one moment in all of his eternity, it was the Father, the Father, the Father. But when he took our sin on himself, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, that relationship of father and son was split because of sin. So that we could call God father. So that we would be his child. And what did he tell the disciples? I go to prepare a place for you in daddy's home and from everlasting to everlasting the Lord's love is with those who fear him who believe in him who are awed by him we have an eternal place where our name is never going to be forgiven or never going to be forgotten and that place is called home and we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us like a mother from everlasting to everlasting. And that's the relationship that Jesus invites us into. And, and, and listen, he invites us into because the only other unique word in those two first words are our Father. Jesus didn't pray, when you go to God, pray my Father. He said, you pray our Father so that the Father sees you like he sees me. 
that we're in this thing together. Our Father. Do you know that we're in this together when we're going to share this cup? I'm going to have you turn and through your mask say to each other, the body of Christ is broken for you and the blood of Christ is shed for you because we do it together. We do not do this individually. And you who are at home, I hope you are with somebody that you can turn and remind them because we do it as a community. God gave this prayer. Jesus gave this prayer to the community. He gave it to us. Do you know every Wednesday night you are prayed for by this congregation because we're in this together. We're in it together. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he had the disciples around the table and he is the bread of life. And he took this loaf and he made a new agreement with them, not with each individual, but with them who were going to be the church because they were in it together. He said, this is my body and it's broken for you, plural, for all of you. When you do this, do it in memory of me. And then at the same meal, he, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this. Do this. And when we do this, like the disciples, we do it in community. We do it because we are being reestablished through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are reestablished as the children, sons and daughters of our heavenly Father who doesn't love us in a broken way but in a whole way as a mother loves her child. Before you take these elements, let me pray, and then I will invite you to turn to someone and remind them that the body of Christ is broken for them and the blood of Christ is shed for them for the forgiveness of all of their sins. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this meal. I thank you for the privilege of calling you father, of calling you daddy. Thank you for the opening our eyes to the compassion, the love, the hurt that you have for us and the love that Jesus wanted us to know as your sons and daughters as he gave his life in these simple elements of a broken piece of bread and a poured out cup. May we ingest the truth of your love for us. In your son's name we pray, amen. You may serve each other. Let us pray. Daddy, we thank you for the depth of your love in sending your son 
who gave up his sonship and relationship with you that we might be your sons and daughters who provided a place for us for all eternity. Lord, when we think about you as Father, will you melt our hearts as we see the love of our Heavenly Father poured out for each of us and the depth of that love found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray these things with an expectant heart. Thank you for the privilege of calling you daddy. In your son's name we pray. Amen.